chapter number three, please. The third chapter in the book of Philippians is where we'll find our text this morning. And uh, we're again delighted and honored that you uh, would worship the Lord with us here this morning in this place. And it's the first Sunday of April. April Fools, right? Something like that. When we woke up this morning, it didn't feel like April outside, but uh, that's what they tell us at least that it is. And uh, we're looking forward to maybe better weather on the horizon and uh, thankful again for, uh, again, the opportunity we have to be in the Lord's house. I want to encourage you, a week from today is a day that we are calling Friend Day. And uh, I would venture to say that there's probably not a person in this room uh, that doesn't have a friend an acquaintance, someone that they know who doesn't need to hear more about the name that we just sung about this morning, the name of Jesus. And uh, I want to encourage you over the next uh, several days, if you would, uh, to invite some folks to come and to be with you on that particular Sunday, uh, Friend Day, April the 10th. And let's pray really diligently and work really hard and to see what God can do. We're praying as a church family for 100 guests. Wouldn't that be wonderful? We have 100 visitors with us on that particular Sunday. And of course, two weeks from today is Easter, the celebration of our Lord and Savior's resurrection. And so lots of things happening uh, here in the month of April, week and a half after Easter is our Faith Promise Missions Conference. There's information about all of those things uh, in your bulletin and some things that you can do to help us in these things and hope that you'll take advantage of that. We're looking in Philippians chapter number three. We're going to begin reading in verse number one. We're down through verse number three. You may remember that we preached through verses 1 and 2 last Sunday, and today we're going to look specifically at verse number 3. The Bible says in verse number 1, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the Spirit, And rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. If you were here last Sunday, you may remember that we preached a message entitled Authentic Spiritual Leadership. And from verses 1 and 2, we saw some things in Paul's life and in the way that he led that indicate that his leadership spiritually was of an authentic variety. In other words, uh, it was genuine, it was real, it was according uh, to the faith which is created in, in God and in Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. And we pointed out some things. We said in verse number one that truly authentic spiritual leaders, they, they ought to be known by their joy. And there is joy in the Lord, isn't there? There ought to be. There's joy in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and what we've been given. And the Apostle Paul encourages them, rejoice in the Lord. And then we said this, they should be known, authentic spiritual leadership should be known by their consistency. And he says in that same verse, he says, for me to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. So Paul is simply saying, listen, I have not changed my tune. I have not changed my message. I have not changed anything. I'm still the same person today as I was all the way back then. In fact, you're going to find as you read this letter that I'm saying the same things that I was saying all the way back then when I ministered and labored among you. And then, of course, we said from verse number two that authentic spiritual leaders should be known by their willingness to warn. He warns, in, in verse number two, of dogs, of evil workers, and of the concision. 
And so we understand here that this is what authentic spiritual leadership is. And we encourage our church family, those of you that were here, we encourage you uh, to not just to know these things, uh, but to demand authenticity in your spiritual leaders. In other words, don't settle for a spiritual leader who doesn't exhibit these types of things. Determine if I'm going to be led, I'm going to be led by someone who is doing things biblically by way of the Bible. That doesn't mean that spiritual leaders can't make a mistake, but these, these qualities, these characteristics should be found. They should be very obvious in the lives of those who are leading people in a spiritual sense. But not only, not only should you demand that of your spiritual leaders, but we encourage you also to feel an obligation to grow in these same areas yourselves. In other words, why would, it, why, would it be, why would it be a thing for you to require that out of someone who's leading you spiritually if you're not saying, but Lord, Lord, develop these things in me as well. Help me to be known by my joy. Help me to be known uh, by, by my consistency, by uh, just, not, doesn't eliminate the need for growth, but understanding, listen, I, I have not moved, I have not wavered. I still believe the same things today as I believed all those many years ago. And then may God help us to grow in this area of being known by our ability to discern danger and to warn others of potential danger that may be incoming. Now, Paul continues this third chapter by revealing, I believe, three traits that should be evident among spiritual people. So we're sort of transitioning from spiritual leadership really to all spiritual people. In other words, if, you're, if you know Christ, the three things that he identifies in verse number three ought to be uh, very clearly and very abundantly uh, seen in your life in areas that you ought to be growing in. Now, I must say that you know this as well as I do. There is a lot of pseudo-spirituality in our world today. What I mean by that is there's a lot of people that claim to be spiritual, that claim to be born again or to be church-going people who believe the Bible, and yet, and yet as you examine their lives, you find that there's very little that identifies them as truly a spiritual individual. And as a result of that, because of that, there is much, there's much disdain among unbelievers in our society for spiritual things. Because they're, they're hearing this, this message out of the mouths of spiritual people, but they're seeing little to no evidence out of the lives of spiritual people. So the goal, listen, the goal in the Christian life is not just to be able to talk our way through things. The goal in the, in the Christian life is to be able to walk our way through things. Not just to say this is what we believe, but to also, to also live as if we actually believe these things. God, God needs to give us help in these areas because evangelical Christianity has not made, in many respects because of this, we have not made Christ more attractive and more beautiful, but sadly we have added reproach to his name where a naturalist and a natural reproach already exists. You see, we're fighting an uphill battle. Already the name of Jesus is a reproach in many people's minds. They look at Jesus and, of course, hearing the message condemns them. And in other words, for us to preach that Jesus came and he died to save people indicates that people need to be saved. That people don't like to think of themselves that way. Uh, they don't like to think of themselves as being so desperately in need of a savior that someone would come and have to die for them. Some people, some people hear the name of Jesus and they think, well, well that's, that's weakness. 
That's weakness. I mean, he came, he claimed to be God, and yet look what happened to him. There's no, there's, there's no power there. I don't want to be associated with that. And so already we're, 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 uh, we're fighting an uphill battle because there's, there are people who have predetermined what they're going to believe about Jesus. And when you and I, when we don't live our lives in such a way as to be faithful, in line with this book, we add to the reproach that is already there. Paul introduces in our text what authentic spiritual living should look like by saying that born-again people, he says, we are, verse number three, we are the circumcision. Now, there is a fleshly circumcision. That's not what he's talking about here. There is also a spiritual circumcision, and that is exactly what he's dealing with. You see, the Jews were uh, we're really caught up in this concept of circumcision and being circumcised. And that's actually what really preceded what we come to in verse number three. When he says, beware of dogs. And when he says, beware of evil workers. And when he says, beware of the concision. What he's saying is that there were teachers that had crept their way into the church, into this, this, this new entity that Christ had formed and established. Churches being planted all over the place. And because many of these churches were filled with new believers, immature believers in many respects, the, the dogs. The evil workers had sensed that and they had sought to devour the church that existed. And here's what they were doing. These were Jewish people and they were saying this, unless you are circumcised physically, you cannot be saved spiritually. I just want to go on record and say that that's evil and that's wicked. That's what Paul called it. Let 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 me say it a little bit more strongly. That's not what Paul called it. That's what the Holy Spirit called it. He said that that is an evil worker, someone who comes and tries to tell you that in order to be saved, there's something physical that you have to do. Paul Paul says, under inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he said that person's a dog that tells you that. That person's an evil worker, and you need to watch out for someone who tries to demand that of you. A fleshly circumcision is a mutilation or cutting off of flesh among males. God instituted this with Abraham as part of the Abrahamic covenant. And as an abiding sign of their consecration to him. We find that in Genesis 17, verses 10 and 11. And so in order to become a Jewish citizen during the Old Testament period and to enjoy all the privileges of being a citizen, well, circumcision was required. God even, God even made a way for those who had not been born uh, a Hebrew to become, uh, to become a Hebrew as a citizen. Listen to what the Bible says in Exodus twelve forty eight. And when a stranger shall show, sojourn among you and will keep the fa- Passover of the Lord, let all his males be circumcised and then let him come near and keep it. So God says, listen, here's the stranger. Here's someone who is not a, a, a resident of, uh, of Israel by birth. They're not a Hebrew by birth. But so long as they're willing to undergo this, then, then you can allow them to, uh, to be a citizen and to enjoy all the privileges associated with it. We discover that the Jews were primarily faithful to abide by this. Isn't this interesting? They were, they were more faithful to abide by this than they were just about anything that God told them to do. Isn't that fascinating? They, 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 were known, they were known for their willingness to break the, uh, the, the, the law of God by, the Bible talks about the, the, uh, the Ten Commandments. It talks about not having any other gods before me and, and, and not making any graven images. I just read this morning, my own personal Bible reading in the book of First Kings, how Solomon, Solomon at the end of his life was brought low, was brought down because of his, uh, his inability to say no to his wives who wanted to worship false gods. 
And he built altars to them and, and, and he embraced them. And God was displeased to the point where he said, I'm going to rend the kingdom away from you. It's going to be divided. Uh, that Ten tribes will go one way and two tribes will go another. So here's Solomon, this great man, and he can't, he can't abide by the actual law. And yet, and yet here is the nation of Israel, and primarily they're staying very faithful throughout their history to this idea of circumcision, so much so that now we have a group of people seeking to bring this element into the church and using it to add chaos and confusion to what God has told us in his word. And so we find here that Paul argues that a natural circumcision is not needed in order for one to have eternal salvation there, there's no, listen, there's nothing natural that you can do to your flesh, that you could do to your body, that you could do to your hair, or anything else that, that will guarantee your salvation. No, salvation is a spiritual work. It is done by faith. And the Apostle Paul is very clear about this. Spiritual circumcision is still required, however. Natural circumcision is not. But there is a spiritual circumcision, a cutting off or a mutilation from the world, the flesh, and sin. And he says those who have been truly born again have experienced that circumcision and they are easily identified by these three things that he lists in verse number three. And I want to share them with you. What is, what is spiritual, authentic spiritual living? What does it look like? Well, number one, let me say this, those who are truly authentic in their spiritual living. Number one, they are careful in their worship. They are careful in their worship. Look in verse number three. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit. The Bible tells us in John chapter four and verse number 24 that God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, now this verse, of course, is given to us in the New Testament, but the truth of the matter is all the way back in the Old Testament, we see, we see abundant signs of what God is speaking about here in this particular text. As I mentioned to you a moment ago, the first two commandments of the, old, of the Ten Commandments, of the law, are, are these, thou shalt have no other gods before me, and thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. Why, why do you suppose God would start there? Why, why do you think that, that of all the commandments he would give, he would begin right in that spot? Well, well, because God knows something about you and he knows something about me. He knows something about all of us that we sometimes lose sight of if we're not careful. And that is this, that as human beings, we long, we long for something real, something physical, something tangible to touch, to see, to hear, to taste, uh, to experience in, in this life. That, that's, that's what we're looking for. In other words, uh, because we are physical beings, we are desperate for physical things to be included or be part of our worship. In other words, if I, if, if, I can, if I go to church and I don't experience some feeling, or if I don't experience some movement or something along these lines, well then was I really in church and did I really worship? Is, is, that, even, is that even possible? Can I tell you that this is not acceptable to God? That God is to be worshipped in spirit. Now listen, don't, don't lose sight of this. This is a reference to that which is real, but it, it's that which is real, but that which cannot be handled, seen, or heard physically. You see, you, you see in our lives, we live by our senses, don't we? we? We want to be able to feel things. We want to be able to see things and to hear things. You know, it's like, well, if I didn't hear it, if I didn't see it with my own eyes, it didn't happen. 
Sometimes that's the way that we live. God says, listen, if you're gonna worship me, you're gonna have to do so by faith. You're gonna have to believe that I am and that I'm a rewarder of them that diligently seek me because you're not gonna be able to find me with these physical eyes. You're not gonna be able to hear my voice with these physical ears. You're not gonna be able to touch me with these fingers that I've, that I've given you. No, 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 you're gonna have to see me on the pages of scripture and you're gonna have to believe me based on what I've given you in my word. Well, that's a struggle for a lot of people. We like to, we like to see things and to touch things. This week, I was away and, and we entered into one of, one of what I believe to be maybe one of America's most historic churches Beautiful, beautiful edifice. Gorgeous, grand in every way, shape, or form. And as I looked all around me, there were physical, tangible things that were there to aid and assist people in their worship. Oh, there wasn't, there wasn't just a simple altar for people to bow down. No, there was an altar with statues to people about to bow in front of. There were windows that had characters and, and, and people down throughout history, presumably for them to, to, to see and, and, and maybe even to worship in some way. Oh, oh what, you know, carpet wasn't sufficient. We need, we need marble and we need all of these beautiful things. And, and we're, we can't just have a, a ceiling that is adequate. No, we want a ceiling that is higher than practically the eye can see. And we want everything to be beautiful and everything to be ornate. And, and here's what I'm saying. All of that is part of this idea of we need help and we need assistance and we need things to aid us in our worship because many people, listen, many people struggle with this idea of truly worshiping God in spirit and in truth without any aids, without any assistance, just understanding that God is, I don't need to see something. I don't need to bow in front of something. I don't need to hold on to something. I don't need to hear something audible. No, no, I've seen God by faith through his word and I believe him. Many have struggled to worship God in the spirit and instead, listen, they found themselves in danger of worshiping things, of worshiping people, of worshiping philosophies even that are associated with God, but not truly God himself. And so we might say, well, yeah, I, I, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I, I know who you're talking about. And here's, here's what we do. We say, well, because we don't have any statues in this building, we're not guilty of that. Uh, don't be so sure. Don't be so sure. I, I'm, afraid, I'm afraid that even in modern day Christianity, if we're not careful, we can be guilty of, 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 of using things, of taking things and adding them to our worship. And, and really, almost the idea that I can't worship God unless these things are present. Can I, can I say this, that we must be careful, if we're gonna be careful in our worship, we must be careful not to worship certain things above worshiping God. I'm gonna say something. I hope I can explain it to you. I believe it to be true. I would say, number one, we, we, we must be careful not to worship the Bible. We must be careful not to worship the Bible. Now, here's what I wanna say. We worship the God of the Bible, but we don't worship the Bible itself. There are some who've come to a point where they nearly worship the book instead of the God this book tells us about. Now listen, I believe we ought to teach people about how we received our, our Bible. The Bible tells us how it came to us. I believe we ought to, people ought to know that men have died to translate and to print the Bible for us. I think people ought to know why there are different versions of the Bible in the English language today or whatever, whatever other languages there might be. We can explain some of those things. But listen, listen, don't lose sight of this. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible. We worship Jesus, who this Bible tells us about. That's who we worship. 
I'm all for respecting your Bible, cherishing your Bible, and obeying your Bible, but listen, I don't believe you ought to worship the Bible. In other words, in, in other words you, you, you shouldn't find yourself bowing down in front of a book. No, no, we, 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 bow, we, we bow ourselves down in front of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And though we cannot see him physically, he is there. Now listen, I understand this can be a fine line, but the devil would love it, would love it if he could get you to worship the book instead of worshiping the God of this book. Do, do, you, know, do you know there are churches that are more known, now, now think about this, they're more known for their stand on what version of the Bible they use than they are for the fact that they preach the name of Jesus Christ. Now think about that for a moment. Don't you suppose that might be a church that's sort of lost its way? Now, I believe, I believe in, in having an accurate uh, word of God, and I believe we have that, by the way. I believe the Bible you're holding in your hands is that. But I'm just simply saying, listen, we ought not to be known more for that. What we need to be known for is, hold on a minute, we love Jesus. And we lift the name of Jesus. And it's in this book that we learn about who Jesus is. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the Jesus of the Bible. And we're thankful for our Bible. I love my Bible. I hope you love it too. It's precious to me. I hope you read it every day. I hope you obey it. I hope you don't worship it. We worship God. We worship him in spirit and truth. Can I say number two? We, we're, we better be careful not to worship a building. Careful not to worship a building. I love this building and I have some great memories here. But can I say this is just a tool. Really, It really is. It's a, it's a place that we gather. It's a room essentially. That's what it is. In Cleveland, can I say this? The Cleveland Baptist Church could go on apart from 4431 Tiedemann Road. In other words, if something were to happen this week, God forbid, but if something were to happen this week and we were to lose our place of worship for one reason or another, we'd, we'd figure things out, wouldn't we? The church would go on. Because the church, listen, the church is not a building. It's not these bricks and these blocks that we look at. It's, it's not the carpet and the pews that we sit on. No, no the church of God is people. I, I, I'm thankful for what we have here and I believe we ought to take care of it. I believe we ought to be good stewards of what God has given us. But listen, this place is not something we worship. Uh, we do our best to keep the buildings clean. We've got a whole team of folks that work diligently in this, in this realm. Um, and and we, we do our best to act in a responsible way. But listen, buildings are to be used. Did you know that? They're to suffer wear and tear I find sometimes, sometimes people are, you know, they get, they get really nervous. Oh, you're carrying a cup of coffee. Well, they never say that to me because I don't drink coffee, but you, you get the idea, right? Oh, you, you got coffee. There, you know, there might, be a, there, there might be a spill. There might be a spill. So what? I, I mean, honestly. I, now, listen, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm not for, you know, again, being, uh, you know, being ridiculous about this thing. But I do want you to know that we, as a, as a church, we, we, we understand that these buildings are going to be used and they're going to suffer wear and tear. We, here's, here's what we sometimes we do. We make a mistake, but we refer to the building as God's house. But can I just be very frank with you? In reality, the building's not God's house. You are God's house. You're God's house. Now, when we leave and when we go to our homes, guess what? God doesn't stay here in this place. Now, that's Old Testament. God dwelt in the holiest of holies. He dwelt there where the mercy seat was, where the Ark of the Covenant was, the, the holiest of holies. That's where God dwelt. But God doesn't operate like that anymore. So when you and I leave this place, guess what? God does too. And he goes, he goes from this place to your place. And tomorrow morning when you get up and you hop in your car, he leaves your place and he goes with you to your place of employment or to the school that you attend or whatever it is that you do on the day-to-day -day, uh, day -day things as far as your life is concerned. 
He dwells in you. He does not dwell in here. He is here when we are all present. The Bible's clear. When two or three are gathered in my name, I'm in the midst. But when we leave, he goes with us. So let me say this. This building's been set aside for worship of God's people. But if you can't worship anywhere but here, are you sure it's really God that you're worshiping? Or maybe maybe you worship coming to a place Your spiritual experience is confined to the fact that I'm in this room and I'm gathered with all the other people. Now listen, church is special and it's important. I love what God does here from week to week and from Sunday to Sunday, but don't lose sight of this. Listen, listen, you ought to be able to worship God in your home just as you can worship him here. You ought to to worship God in your car just as you're worshiping God here. I thought about this. We better be careful not to worship the pastor or religious leader. Many of you are aware that in some places the the pastor has achieved almost godlike status among his congregation. Um, there's a thing nowadays known as celebrity pastors. These are guys that have huge followings. They write books. Now, they're on national television or they have a national radio ministry. And it's almost like when they walk into the room, whoa, there he is. Man, if I could just get close to him, I could just get my picture taken with him. If I could just have a meal with him, oh, that would be like the zenith of my spiritual experience. And we chuckle about that. I want you to know something. That's wicked. And that's wrong. I think we ought to, I think we ought to respect those who capably handle God's word, but we ought never to worship them. We ought never to worship them. Again, I acknowledge the longing that humans have for something tangible to look to, but may we never lose sight of the fact that, listen, all the great preachers of yesterday and today are and were flesh and blood like the rest of us. Some people say, well, you know, you're the pastor. I've, I, I've, had, I've had people who, who, when I'm out and about, I'll be wearing a pair of jeans. You wear jeans? <laughs> yes, I wear jeans. In fact, on a, on a hot summer day, I'll be in a pair of shorts. You ought to see me then. <laughs> and it's like, it's like I, I can't do the things that, that other people do, you know? There have been times in which I'm in a, uh, I'm in a, I'm in a restaurant. You eat here? Oh, you should see some of the places I've eaten in my life, right? Listen, I'm, you, know what I've, you know what I've discovered? I've discovered that I'm, I'm a member of the church just like you are. And you know what I've discovered? I've discovered that I need, I need Christ and I need the Holy Spirit and I need to walk with God just as much as you need those things. I'm no, I'm no, different. I'm no different. You know, the pastor, he's a member of the body, right? We are all members one of another. Paul talks about, in 1 Corinthians, he talks about the, the visibility that certain people have as opposed to others. He, he says, listen, if everyone were the eye, then who's going to do the smelling in the body? Who's going to be the nose, you know? And if everybody's going to, everybody wants to be this visible thing that everybody can see, who's going to be the feet? And who's going to be the knees? Who's going to be the elbows? And who's going to be the muscles? And who's going to be the vital organs of the body? Listen, we can't all necessarily have a visible part. But listen, listen, all of us are part of the body of Christ. And as a result, listen, the pastor, some great spiritual leadership leader, he's not to be worshipped. No, no, we worship Jesus. We worship Jesus. I'd say finally, we, we better be careful not to worship a movement. If we aren't careful, we can even worship the way we worship, the way we do these things. You know, well, you know, they're, you know, they're, well, they're sort of, they're preaching the gospel, but, but they don't do it just like we do it. Therefore, they're not as good as we are. I want you to know that's wicked as well. 
I'm thankful to be a, a Baptist. I'm thankful for the biblical heritage and the stand that, that, that we've grown in over the years. But I want you to know something. I don't have a special favor except acceptance with God because I do these things. In other words, Jesus loves me, loves somebody else just as much as he loves me. We, we, don't, we don't get special favor because we, we do things a, a certain way. We're just trying to be obedient to what we find in the word of God. Those who, who do things a little differently than we do, maybe in a methodological way, are, aren't the enemy and we aren't superior or better than them. Now listen, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about those who, who don't preach proper, proper doctrine. I'm talking about those who preach the gospel, but maybe, maybe in some ways they're a little bit different than we are. Maybe their style is a little bit different or their method is a little bit different. And if we aren't careful, we can develop a mindset in which we worship our movement and we look down, we look down on anyone who doesn't do these things just like we do. Like in other words, well, yeah, they, they went to church, but did they really go to church? You know, if they had that, uh, think about this. If you, if, you struggle, if you struggle to hear someone preach God's word because that person isn't wearing a necktie, that's a problem, isn't it? It's a problem. If they're, not, if they're not dressed just a certain way, and as a result, you can't listen to a word that they have to say, or if you can't, if you can't worship the Lord and you, you struggle because you hear a song that maybe sounds a little bit different than what you're used to or maybe has an instrument in it that you aren't necessarily, oh, that's no good, I can't listen to that, I can't hear that. Is it possible that maybe you're elevating something above where it ought to be? I'm just simply saying, listen, we must be careful in our worship. Now that goes both ways. We gotta be careful not to be too casual in our worship, but we also gotta be careful that we don't look down on others who don't do things just the same way that we do them. The Lord's not pleased with that. Well, listen, I could go on and on, but I think you get the idea. As God's people, we must be careful in our worship not to replace him with some physical, tangible uh, object that we can see, that we can touch, that we can hold. Why? This is the tendency of humanity. And God's people, listen, the people of God are not immune to these things. We must guard actively against them. Careful in our worship. But notice number two. Those who are of the spiritual circumcision, not only they care for in their worship, but they find their contentment in Christ. They find their contentment in Christ. Look what he says. He says, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. And I think you must understand and think about what is the world's opinion of Christ. What's the world's opinion of Christ? Well, the apostle Paul gives us some insight into what the world's opinion of Christ is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse Number 18, he says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But to us which are saved, it is the power of God. He goes on to say in that same chapter, verses 23 and 24, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks the power of God and the wisdom of God. So the world has a, very complicated and very uh, mysterious view of Christ. Uh, to some, he's just a, a good teacher. To others, he was, he was just a prophet. That's all that he was. To others still, he was a blasphemer. That's why they put him to death, because they believed he was a blasphemer. This is the world's opinion of Christ. And the Bible tells us ultimately what the world's opinion of Christ is. Here it is, that he was a stumbling block to the Jews and that he was foolishness to the Greeks or to the educated mind. It's foolishness. To many, 
To many in our world today, did you know that Christ is just another medallion that they hang on a spiritual chain in hopes of, it, of attaining eternal life? That's what Christ is. And they hear his name. Oh, yeah, he's a religious leader, and I believe in him. Sure. Yeah, he's, he was a good person. I've heard some of the stories. And when we go to church, we sing some songs about him. I'm good with that. I believe in Jesus. And what they're doing is they're taking the person of Christ and they're putting him on their spiritual necklace along with things like baptism and, and works and church attendance and, and, and faithfulness and, and, and being a good citizen. Oh yeah, and there's Jesus right there as well. That's the world's opinion of Christ. And he's just another, another in a long line or a long list of spiritual ways. And that's how people come to the realization and say, well, yeah, you know, you believe in Jesus and I believe in this. And we're all, as long as we're sincere, we're all going to the same place and we're all going to get the same thing. Listen, someone who has truly been spiritually circumcised, they don't view it that way. They don't have the world's opinion of Christ. No, no, no. Notice, secondly, we discover the true believer's acknowledgement of Christ. Was a true believer, someone who has been spiritually circumcised. What do they believe about Jesus? Well, what does the Bible tell us Jesus did and what he was? The Bible tells us that Jesus proclaimed himself to be the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, 6. The Bible tells us that he is the Christ, and whosoever believeth that he is the Christ is born of God, according to John, 1 John 5, 1. That he is God, this is what the Bible tells us, he is God, and whoever has seen him has seen God, and whoever believes in him believes in God, according to John 14, verses 7 to 11. The Bible tells us that he is the door, according to John 10, 9. He is the good shepherd, according to John 10, 11. He is our great high priest, according to Hebrews 10, 21, that he is the only name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved, according to Acts 4, and verse number 12, that he is able to save them to the uttermost, according to Hebrews 7, and verse number 25. See, the world believes him, views him as a leader, but we believe him to be life. The world believes him to be some guru of a religious sort, but we believe that he is God. The faith begins and ends with him. If he did not do what this Bible says he did, then he is not who this Bible claims him to be. And we, listen, every one of us in here are eternally lost. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. You know what he's saying there? He's saying if Jesus isn't who he claims to be, and if he didn't do what the Bible says that he did, then you know what? Close your Bible, walk out of this church, let's lock the doors, and let's never return, because everything we're doing here is a waste of time. But in reality, in reality, we understand, listen, as believers, we're not looking for something else or something better. We've found everything that we ever needed in the person of Christ Jesus, and we are content in him. He satisfies our every longing and he quenches our every thirst and we rejoice in Christ Jesus. That's authentic spiritual living. Not looking for something else, something tangible that I can hold on to. No, I'm worshiping God in spirit and I am content in Christ Jesus. I rest in him completely. He satisfies all of my longings. He eases all of my burdens and all of my fears. I found in him everything that I could possibly need or want. I'm content in him. Thirdly and finally, notice that those who are truly authentic in their spiritual living, they have, number three, no confidence in the flesh. 
the end of verse number three, he says, and have no confidence in the flesh. Because we are flesh, it is hard for us to acknowledge this truth. Have you ever, have you ever caught yourself saying something like this? Something along these lines? I thought to yourself, hey, you know, I, I, I would never do that. I would never be involved in that. I would never be guilty of that. We look at certain people and, and we think to ourselves, I'd never go down that path. I would never sin in that way. And I just, want, I just want to be real frank with you. If that's the way that you're thinking, if that's the way that you're viewing things, then you've got, a, you've got confidence in the flesh that ought not to be there. There's something in your life that you're trusting in more than you're trusting in God. And we have, listen, we have no confidence in the flesh. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul is writing this text here. And he is saying these things uh, to us. And, and, and here's the Apostle Paul. Think about all that he had accomplished and all that he had done and the things that he had been involved with. In fact, in verses four through six, he talks about some of his credentials. He says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh, I more. You know what the Apostle Paul is saying? He's saying, listen, I've done it all. Every work of the law, every work of the flesh that could possibly be done, I have done. I think we just have a word of prayer here real quick for Brother, Brother Edgerton. I think he's struggling a little bit. Why don't you just bow your heads with me and we'll just ask the Lord to give him strength, whatever he's dealing with today, and then we'll finish our message. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray for Brother Russ, and we just ask that you'd encourage him. I'm not sure exactly what he's dealing with. He doesn't look well. We just pray again. Thank you for the team of folks that you have put around uh, this place who are able to help folks who are uh, maybe feeling a little unwell, and we just pray that you'd give them wisdom as they try to help him and, and discern exactly what he's dealing with. And uh, Lord, we pray that again as we conclude the message today that you, again, would just uh, cement some of these truths, some of these things in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, thank you for your kindness to us, and Lord, thank you for your love for us, and Lord, even when we're dealing with difficult things and we're not feeling the best, Lord, you know, and and you're able to minister to us in those things, and again, Lord, we pray that you bless Brother Russ today, and certainly his son and his family, pray you'd encourage them in Jesus' name, amen. Let me just again conclude here this morning. Um, With our flesh, we're talking about, again, this idea of no confidence in the flesh. With our flesh, we, we live, we breathe, we eat. We drink, we sleep, we sin, and we die. In our flesh, in our flesh, we can, we can wage a physical war. But here's what I want to remind you. The, the war that we're involved in is not a physical war. It is a spiritual war. And it cannot be won. Listen, it cannot be won with, with physical weapons. That's why, that's why Paul writes, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Here's, here's, what the world, here's what the world does. The vast majority of the world is trusting in their own flesh for salvation. That's what they're doing. They, they're trusting the fact that they got in a pool of water at some point in time. Or maybe, maybe somebody took a, uh, some type of a vessel of water and kind of dipped it and kind of plunged it onto their head or onto their forehead. And as a result, because they've done that, well, that means that I'm going to heaven. That means that I'm saved, that I'm, uh, that I'm good with God. Other people with their flesh, they're trusting in the fact that they were religious and that they did good things. That with my flesh, I came to church. With their flesh, they deprived themselves of earthly pleasure to show God just how serious they were and to secure God's approval. And Paul, listen, Paul indicates that, that, that with his flesh, uh, that he had done as much or more than anyone had ever done. And yet he comes to it all and he says, these things were loss. They meant nothing, nothing. 
So with our flesh, we have no confidence to save ourselves. You can't save yourself. You can't save anybody else. With my flesh, think about this. With my flesh, I can't keep myself saved. And with my flesh, I can't even, I can't even live the Christian life with my flesh. Every day, I must get up and I must say, oh, Lord, I yield myself to you. Holy Spirit of God, would you lead me? Would you guide me? Would you direct me? I am well aware, that, listen, with my flesh, with my flesh this week, I could do something with my flesh this week that would make me un, unworthy and incapable of standing before you and preaching God's word next Sunday. And you, listen, you could do the same thing with your flesh. You could live in such a way as to bring such reproach and such shame to not just the name of Christ, but the name of the Cleveland Baptist Church. Therefore, therefore, listen, we get up every day. Spiritual, truly authentic spiritual people, they get up every day and they say, I have no confidence in this. But with this, I could, I could make a mess in a hurry. My confidence is not in my flesh, not to save me, not to keep me saved. My confidence is not in my flesh to live like a saved person. No, my confidence is in Jesus and it's in the Holy Spirit that he gave me at the point of salvation. And may God help us May God help every one of us to understand, listen, I, I, I'm not worthy. I can't live worthy. I can't, do any, I can't do anything in the flesh. I must trust in the Holy Spirit of God. And I must be led by him. And I must yield myself to him. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for just a moment.